Welcome to Land a Job You Love podcast. I'm your host and career coach, Kajal Bansal. If you're someone who's looking for that sense of fulfillment in their career, you've come to the right place because in this podcast, I'll be speaking with inspirational industry leaders who have followed their true interests and instincts to land work they love and give you advice on how you can do the same. What I wanted to do with this episode, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to have you because I think what I want, like what I really want is for people to get a backstage pass on what it's like on our side of the hiring process. You know, I think people as candidates, you hit submit and when you send your application and you don't know what happens Mm. between the time you hit submit and you're hoping that you get an email, whether you do or don't, like you don't know what the background of that looks like. And so I wanted to kind of give people a sneak peek into from our side as talent acquisition specialists what things look like, what we'd want people to know. Um, And so thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to have you. For sure, for sure. Me too. I'm excited to be here. Just kind of like maybe as a first question to kick things off, Mm -hmm. um, I'd say maybe one thing I'd want people to know is that I've never worked in a place where human beings aren't looking at the resumes coming in, all of the resumes coming in. Right. And I wanted to know, A, if that's kind of your experience too, and B, kind of like with the hundreds or thousands of resumes mm-hmm. that do come in, um, what kind of stands out in a stack of resumes or what has stood out in a stack of resumes for you over the years? Yeah. So, um, you know, some of the ATS system that I've used in the past, I have gone through every single applicant and every single resume. Um, At the time, the system wasn't sophisticated enough that I used back then to kind of kick out things based off of keywords. But when I did receive, I'm gonna be honest with you, when I did receive resumes, I would print them out and have different piles. Like I have a yes pile, maybe pile, and no pile. And even if I had it mentally or, you know, a folder that was labeled as such. Um, But for the most part, I do look at the resumes and I look at them fairly quickly. And when I say I look at them fairly quickly, I mean, some people give it six seconds. I give it like 34 seconds, you know, but what really stands out to me for sure off the bat is when I see numbers, like when I, and it's kind of cliche now If someone who has been looking at resume information and how to do a resume, they hear that all the time, quantify and metrics. But I'm going to be honest with you. That is the first thing that pops off the page. And it pops off the page because, you know, we build job descriptions. And when we look at a resume missing numbers, it kind of looks like a job description. So you kind of like not give it too much attention. So your eyes needs to perceive something different, which is the outcome and the impacts and the projects that you've done on the job. So that's what sticks out to me is what you have done. That's not lackluster in the company. You know, what have you done that's really made a difference and how can you quantify that and put it in numbers, you know? And that's the thing that sticks out to me. And if it's a little jazzy too, like, of course, you know, you get a black and white resume, that's cool. But if you add a little flair, like a little color, uh, sprinkle some green, peach, pink, it kind of, again, shifts our perception and puts a little difference to our eyes when we see something new like that. So for the most part, definitely numbers stick out. And also when I see a progressive career story, And it shows that you're promotable. That helps out as well. I think a lot of people forget to put that they were promoted in their job and how many times they were promoted. Like I was, I had a client who was promoted four times within six years. And I thought that was such an amazing achievement. But looking at the resume, I couldn't tell that that was their story. Um, So, you know, I show different ways that we can highlight the promotion because I feel for me, I love 
hiring candidates that are promotable. That means they're going to excel, that they come in. Um, when it's time for employee reviews, we know that we can, we might have a potential person we can promote, which sounds great for the company and for the person. So those are some things I really look for um, off the bat is those numbers and that progressive career story. Those are so good. I think, and the words you use, like, what is the impact? What was the outcome? Yes. It's not just what did you do day to day. It's like it's taking a step back and more of a big picture, like uh, all of that work, like what did it amount to? I think it's like perfect. Exactly. And then it's exactly what you're saying. I think that's so key is this idea that like, what I, the way that I describe it is like the golden candidate will have this combination of progression within a job and duration of time in a job. For so, sure. um, kind of like within four years, like four years is like a great amount of time to be at a company. Mm -hmm. And then what happened in that four years? Did you move up? Did you make lateral moves? Like, did you stay at the same job the whole time? Like, it's exactly what you're saying. Right. That progression is like so key. Yes. Um, and, and making sure you're visually showing that progression if you have been promoted, I think is like so important. So those so are such good ones. Yes. And so unique too. Like you have to show that you're a one of one candidate. Um, and when you're able yeah. to show that, that just really sticks out to me. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I would say another thing for me is, um, I don't know, like, I guess I've had clients in the past ask me, like, how many jobs should I apply for every week mm. to kind of secure my success? And I always say it's not about the number of jobs. It's you should, I honestly think you should apply for one job a week if it's the job that you want yeah. where you're excited about putting in the effort because you you hope that you'll get called for an interview. Right. And I think that's like one key for me is like what has stood out, stood out over the years is the candidates who it's so obvious that they really put in the effort. Mm. And one just example of what that can look like is like I once had – it was a very competitive job. It was like a very – cool job. It was PR. It was influencer marketing. And a lot of people wanted this job. And somebody submitted a video cover letter, Ooh. which nobody else did. And it just set them so far <laughs> ahead of the pack, which is like the level of effort right. that it would take yeah. and care. And obviously you can't do that with every job. And if you're applying for 20 jobs a week, like that's just not possible. Right. That, but that's why I would say like, only apply for the jobs that you're so excited about that you're willing to put that that extra effort into. Yes, that is so true. I actually um, just got a client who messaged me saying that it took her seven months to find a job, but in the seven months, she found a job that met all of her non-negotiables and a 50% increase. Mm. And, you know, oh my God. yeah, exactly. So being that she took her time on the job search and she only applied to positions that really spoke to her. Like if you're reading the job description and you get down to like bullet point six and you hate everything they want you to do, then don't, you shouldn't be applying to that job. And I know sometimes, you know, we're in a hard time and we kind of get desperate for us to just apply to anything and hope something sticks. And sometimes that, that is people's strategy. Like they try to find a bridge role until they get to where they want to go. But if you, you, if you're currently hired, it doesn't hurt to just do a slow and steady pace and make sure that when you apply to these positions, you feel some type of excitement when you're applying before you hit that button. So, and like you said, it makes it easier to be customizable. Like if you're, you should be tailoring your resume to the job description anyway. So if you are excited about a position, it doesn't even feel like work that you're putting together a resume to meet their standards and their interests. So I think that is good for me. I would probably try to do one a day if there is one a day out there. Um, and not take the foot off the gas so much when it comes to applying 
Um, so yeah, definitely not applying to like a thousand a week. You know, that's you, by that time you don't, you can't even keep track of who you applied with. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the message is like, just as long as you're only applying for the ones that you're really excited about and the ones that make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing. I think those are great. And I guess like with your experience and kind of with our experience as talent acquisition specialists, Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that you wish candidates knew about the process, about our side of the process? Yeah, I wish they knew that we're their partners as well. Um, because, you know, as someone who sourced, of course, the hiring manager is my partner. Of course, the CEO is my partner. But the people who come into the process as candidates are also my partner as well. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely rooting for you during the hiring process. I'm, I'm betting on you. I'm even speaking to hiring managers trying to customize to your experience, to their needs, especially if I see it's a good fit. Um, being that I am the human resources professional, and I always held more of a generalist role where I did a little bit of everything and recruitment was a piece of that. So I know what the culture is like. I know what the team needs as well. So I am also fighting for you as well to land this position. So I just wish they also knew that I find, I, I want them to see me as a partner in this and vice versa um, so we can both have beneficial outcomes. And also being that I've held this at a generalist type of role, HR, I have a lot of things on my plate. Like I have multiple things from employee relations to performance management. There's so many things that I'm dealing with. So I wish they would know that it's okay to follow up as many times as possible because things might get lost in translation for me because I'm busy and, you know, I'm human as well. So I do have a lot going on. Try to stay organized, but not being afraid to follow up, you know, if you don't hear from a recruiter more than once, like you don't have to do it just that one time. You can send a second follow-up email, maybe two weeks later, short and sweet. And that might bring some type of attention to have some sort of answer. And that's for any recruiter too. So. I'm so aligned with you. Those are exactly kind of like the two that I had too. I think the first is what I would want candidates to know about the other side of the process is honestly just how much influence the talent acquisition specialist has in the room. Yes, for sure. And that could go either way. If you have a candidate, and we see this, right? We have candidates who don't take talent acquisition that seriously. And they're kind of like, I don't really care about you. Like take me directly to the hiring manager. (laughs) And the way you treat a talent acquisition specialist, Mm -hmm. like we have the voice in the room with the hiring manager to be like, hey, this person wasn't that like friendly and nice. And they really dismissed me very quickly. And very quickly, a hiring manager will say like, that's not the type of person we want on the team. Right. I've seen that. And on the flip (laughs) side, yeah. And on the flip side, like there are times where if you see that someone's so clearly qualified Mm -hmm. and they did a good job. And if if the hiring manager says like, ah, I just don't know about this. Like we have that ability to say like, but, but what are your concerns? And maybe we can address them this way. Like if we want to move forward with somebody, Mm. we do have that level of influence where we can. So much influence. So much. Cause we've already built that. Well, for me, like on a um, HR generalist side of things as a director, we've already built a certain level of trust with them in other areas of HR. So when it comes to a candidate that we feel is going to really be a good fit for the role, um, they kind of trust our judgment. So that little piece 100%. of doubt is easily shifted once we're like, but you know, these are the things you asked for. I've seen what has worked for the department, what has not worked. And based off of the experience and the conversations that we've had with this candidate, I think they would be a perfect fit. And if you need more information, maybe try one more call with them to see how that goes. Yes. And 
you know, this is us fighting for you on the other end. So that definitely happens, especially if you don't hear from us too for some time. Um, it might be us negotiating on your behalf and trying to figure out how we can make your new position work. So definitely it's true. so true. Yeah, like they really I think that's like the the thing that we'd want people to know is that hiring managers really do lean on talent acquisition specialist expertise sure. in the process. Like you, you, you are very much utilized in the process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're not doing this. So, and they don't want to do it alone. Like they have to make decisions all day, every day. They know that's what we're here for. Um, this is our expertise. So they definitely, definitely lean on us a lot. <laughs> and such a good point too about like if it's taking a while to hear back oftentimes that is the talent acquisition specialist being like I don't think we should say no to this person yet or the other place where I think like talent acquisition specialists do have influence is with the salary negotiations Mm -hmm. so if you're asking for something and it's more than the company wanted to pay if it's taking a while to hear back oftentimes it's the recruiter or the talent acquisition specialist seeing what we can do to, to get you what you want because I think that's like a really good takeaway is like we want you to fill the role too. Like it's in our best interest for the role to get filled. Too. Yes. Because we have a certain amount of time to do it. <laughs> like we have a time to fill. Um, and that's why it's important too, to show on your resume that you're promotable and you had a progressive career story because that can pay, a, that can play a piece to how we're negotiating for you to be a part of the company at that certain amount. Like by next year, this person I'm assuming will be promotable because that's been their career trajectory. So it's good to show that on your resume as part of your story to help you get that salary amount. Totally. Actually, and you bring up such a good point about time to fill. Mm -hmm. What are some of the metrics as a recruiter that you have been measured on in the past? Honestly, some of the companies that I, I haven't really held like that specific talent acquisition role where I had to have a specific time to fill, but there were some roles that were urgent and, um, with the urgency, we were trying to fill it like within a month or two because we knew someone was transitioning to the next company. So I haven't really dealt with metrics like that, like a time to fill. I know the average time can be 45 days to close a certain role or less. Um, but I've, I've been in positions where we had to close a position. And a lot of the times that can get um, extended, not because of you know not enough people in the candidate pool, but sometimes the hiring manager isn't just sure exactly what they want. So it brings us back to the drawing board. Okay, like maybe, because like we mentioned before, or like I know before, you know, the job description is really a wish list. So when we go through different candidates and the hiring manager can make a decision, if this is the type of person they actually want, we have to go back to the drawing board, look at the wish list and start from scratch. So even though we have a time to fill, sometimes I get extended because of the hiring managers having different feelings of the type of person they want to hire or the requirements or the skills that they feel is fit for their department. So there's a lot that goes into the background of um, what recruiters and talent acquisition people go, go through. So, For sure. And actually, that brings me to another point that I think is really important to make, which is like, there's a stat that says that women are more likely to apply for a role only if they meet 100% of the qualifications, while their male counterparts are more likely to apply as soon as they meet about 60% of the qualifications. Right, right. And what I would want anyone listening to know is that oftentimes you you can be more qualified than you think yeah. in the sense that if you book a first round of interviews and the hiring manager just isn't happy or doesn't really feel the right fit with with 
the people that they've seen. Mm -hmm. As a talent acquisition specialist, you often will go back to that original pool of candidates to see who else is out there, right? Mm -hmm. So even if you don't get booked the first time, you can get booked. Like it's so worth it to apply because we can always do a second round. Right. Um, And that's that maybe pile. (laughs) Remember I said there's a a yes pile, no pile, and maybe pile. That's that maybe pile of people that we thought maybe weren't 100% qualified or, um, you know, just missed one little thing. But then that little thing changed once you speak to the hiring manager. Like, you know what? Maybe they don't yes. really need this specific thing. And then we go back to that maybe, Paul. So definitely, definitely, definitely apply if you're not 100%. I, there was a time on Clubhouse where we had um, a male host. And um, I think at the time he worked for Facebook. And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. When I was looking for roles, I didn't care if I was 40% qualified. I applied anyway. Like men have the confidence to just apply to a role they feel they're 50% qualified for and still get the salary they deserve. So I really do encourage women to, even if you're 69%, that other percentage is something you can either learn on the job, you can leverage a mentor, you can use your Google fingers and find that information out. And plus during the hiring process, the interview process, you know, you'll be surprised that that other percentage that you don't know might not be the bulk of the job anyway. Or you're going to learn on the job. Like you never go into a position expecting to perform on the first day. Like that's just not the case. You are being a sponge for the first week, second week, third week, fourth month. You're still a sponge. So I would definitely encourage people to have the courage to apply. I know that's what I'll be doing once I'm ready to hop back into the job market. If I'm 60% qualified and looking at the job description excites me and I feel like I can perform it. I'm going to apply without a doubt. Totally. <laughs> and the, uh, the other thing that can happen too is you might have a skill on your resume that's not listed in the job description that the hiring manager might be like, oh, that's super interesting. That's that's a direction we're looking to go exactly. in the next three to six months. Oh, you have, tic- you have experience with TikTok advertising. We're not on TikTok yet, but we're going to be in the next three to six months. Let's bring this person in and see mm. what we can learn about that experience, right? Like there's just that so is many so good. pros. That is so true because I've seen that happen too. Like, oh, we haven't gotten that paycheck system yet, but we're looking into it. So if we hire her now, um, she'll be a great asset in that way. That is so true. That is so true. It's so fun jamming with you on this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you too. It's just like the old days on Clubhouse. It's just like the old days. Yeah, it totally is. Um, And then you brought up something else that that was something that I wanted to talk about too, Mm -hmm. which was like, in terms of people, what do we want people to know about the other side of the process is like just how stretched a talent acquisition specialist time is when you're working sometimes across 30 different roles and there's five candidates, mm-hmm. you know, for each one that in different stages of the process. So what is that like 150 people that you're in communication with at all times? Yes. And then you and then you have the hiring managers on you. And the thing that like I don't think people realize is that very often talent acquisition specialists are um, like evaluated on the success of the hire. So mm-hmm. if somebody gets mm-hmm. fired or, or you've hired three people in a row and they all get fired or they two of them get fired yes. and one leaves within the first three months, like that's a reflection on that talent acquisition right. specialist. Exactly. So it's, you know, like I've had people say to me like, oh, recruiters must just be like so busy. But the truth is like, we have to take our time and make the right choice because our own performance depends on it. Exactly. That is so true. That's why I take LinkedIn so seriously because before I even give a resume over to a hiring manager, I know my credibility is at stake. 
and I go to the LinkedIn profile to see what else they can give me besides what's on the resume. Uh, because the LinkedIn is also a personal approach and a professional approach married together. So if I go on LinkedIn and I see those recommendations from past boss and colleagues, or if I go on LinkedIn and I see that you're active in your community and you have this amazing volunteer work that's on there, or just your activity and engagement with other professionals on the platform, that brings a little bit of ease to me that I can bring your information over to the hiring manager. So that is so a, that is a really good point. Our credibility is definitely at stake. Definitely at stake. Yeah, like I don't think people know that about kind of our side of the process, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's actually one of um, the leadership principles for Amazon when I worked there is making good hiring decisions. Um, and they take that principle seriously, okay? They take it seriously. So that is definitely a piece that we have to look out for. So for sure. Yep. Um, that kind of takes me to my next thing, which is. Or have you done a lot of interviews? Have you been actively like, um, like in your role as a like an HRBP? Mm -hmm. um, well, I guess you were saying talent acquisition was a part of yeah. it. So, are you like actively involved in the interview process? Yes. So, when I used to work in the amusement park industry, I used to recruit for senior leadership, mid-level uh, managers. I used to recruit for hourly. Um, associates. I used to go abroad when we used to have a cultural program. I went to Thailand to interview a few um, uh, people for our cultural exchange program. And um, also when I worked in Dallas, uh, I used to recruit also for senior leaders and mid-level professionals and things of that nature. It wasn't, when, when it came to like mass recruitment, it was more so for hourly associates um, to help for our season. But when it came to like the senior level, mid-level, executive level, um, it wasn't as um, rapid as talent acquisitions might have. But I have interviewed tons of folks um, at all levels and have had some of the most interesting conversations <laughs> at all levels when it came to the interview process. That's awesome. Yeah, that takes me to my next question, which is like, do you have any kind of memorable, you know, it's like everybody knows that kind of at the end of an interview, the candidate has the opportunity to ask the employer a question. Mm -hmm. Are there any questions that you feel like a candidate has asked in the past that have really stood out to you? Yeah. Uh, one of them was um, one of the candidates, they were interviewing for a role. And of course they already had everything together. When I say they had everything together, um, it was pretty polished. But one thing that really nailed everything together or brought everything together was the questions that they asked because it really showed that they were interested in the organization. They were interested in the department. They were interested in the company. Um, but then they asked a question about me personally, um, which was great. So they asked me, what are some of the skills that you've learned in your, in the company you work for now that other companies didn't teach you or what characteristics did you grow into in this company that other companies in the past that you work with, you know, did not help you develop? And I thought that was such a good question because that would speak to the culture of the organization. Is it an atmosphere of a learning, uh, a learning environment, like a continuous learning environment? Um, and it really spoke to like getting to the next level within the organization. So I was like, oh, I think I have to think about that. <laughs> um, but I thought that was such a good question um, to ask. So that was so good. It, it, it kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah, that's a great one. I think one that really stands out to me. And the thing is, like, you'd have to, you should only ask this if you would be willing to do it. Mm -hmm. But 
the question that really stood out to me was um, somebody asked, if I were to be the successful candidate, is there anything I can learn or brush up on between now and the time that I start that's going to help me hit the ground running in the training? Right. And that level of initiative would completely set somebody apart because most people aren't willing to do that, Mm. wouldn't think think to ask that. And like, yeah, you you shouldn't. And most hiring managers would say like there wouldn't be any expectation for you to like take personal (laughs) time to like learn anything. But just to ask that question. Yes it would just completely would set you apart. Definitely. And it shows a level of proactiveness too. Like what manager wouldn't want a proactive employee um, that is willing to hit the ground running. They might have some people in the department right now that is missing that proactive initiative skill set. So to have someone brand new come in and show off that characteristic might influence the rest of the team to do the same thing. So that is such a good soft skill to show off even before you start the uh, organization is that proactiveness. So I love that question. I love it. I asked it myself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I think initiative and proactiveness are probably two things that consistently hiring managers, when you meet with a hiring manager for an intake meeting and you're like, tell me your wish list, your dream list, your dream candidate, Mm -hmm. that's almost always on the list. Like I think that it might be hard to find sometimes. And I think if you can, as a candidate, show a hiring manager that you have that, it will set you apart. So much so, so much so. And another question I like too, which is along the line of that is, um, what is an immediate need that the department is looking for that is important to upper management? So at least you know what you need to do, at least get to studying before the um, actual job takes place. That's important to leadership to get noticed by upper management. I think that's such another wonderful question I love hearing. Like what is important or what is an immediate demand that's important to upper management? That just, that's another level of initiative (laughs) and proactiveness. That's That's a great one. Yes. I love that one. Yeah, totally. Kind of as like a last question here, I wanted to ask you, Cassie, from your perspective, if there is somebody listening who is having a hard time finding that career fulfillment or that feeling of fulfillment with their work, mm-hmm. do you have any advice on what they could do as like a first step in moving in the right direction to find that career fulfillment? Yeah. So um, it's such an interesting conversation because, you know, I feel like a lot of people are yearning for that fulfillment. Um, and one of the things that I really suggest everyone does, and I do this on a quarterly basis, um, is have a period of self-reflection to understand like right now in my career journey, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my opportunities? And what are my threats to myself to, and that's a SWOT analysis, by the way, that's what companies use to move forward and figure out how they can be progressive and competitive in the job market or against the competition. So just always having periods of self-reflection to see, you know, my strengths, am I still, do I need to upskill What are my weaknesses? What are my threats to myself? Am I going through any type of negative mindset that is not allowing me to progress to the next level? So always having moments of self-reflection and having courage too after that. Like, okay, so if I feel like I should be making more money because of my worth, I need to have the courage to ask for it. Or if I want to, through my self-reflection or self-discovery process, I realize I'm not in the right position. I need the courage to make that career pivot or I need the courage to find the right mentors and destiny partners to put me in place. So I would say, you know, to get to that career fulfillment spot is always having a moment of self-reflection to figure out the best parts of you and, you know, find your gifts and use those gifts to apply 
to positions or just impact the world in any way possible. So self-reflection is important. Encourage. <laughs> yeah, those are so beautiful. Yeah. That's that's so on point. Like I think the self-reflection piece is so key because you can end up going three years being miserable at a job and not do anything about it because you just haven't taken the time to think about if you're happy and, and what your potential next step could be. Exactly. And that can stifle a lot of people um, because in the reflection part, you're always, or you should be thinking about how you can impact more than just yourself, but are you doing things that can impact the world and make you feel like you're part of a bigger picture? Um, and only self-reflection can help you think through those things. Like, what did I do when I was a child that everyone said that I was amazing at? Or, you know, what I like to do is send out an email to like my trusted circle. I do that part like every two to three years and ask them questions like, okay, what can you rely on me for? What do you feel my gifts are right now in this stage of life? Um, and what can't you rely on me for? And those, that's a hard one to hear, but it's all about, you know, your growth and how you want to move forward in excellence in life is having people that you trust tell you about the things in your own blind spots so you can move forward in your calling more effectively. So definitely self-reflection and the courage to do all those steps within your self-reflection process. Those are awesome. Yes. That's, such, that's such good advice to ask your trusted circle every few years, mm -hmm. those questions, just to get some feedback if, you, if you're feeling like you don't know what your strengths and weaknesses yeah, are. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. And then just closing off, Cassie, can you share a little bit about your work, what you do if somebody is interested in reaching out to you for some career guidance? Can you tell us a little bit about what you do um, and where people can find you? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, I do have my business called My Professional Agenda. You can find me on all social media platforms. That's on Instagram. I'm on the TikTok. I'm on TikTok now. That one video you talked about that went viral, I put it on TikTok. It did the same thing on TikTok. So I'm on there putting content. I'm on LinkedIn a lot of the time. That's my favorite place to reside. Or you can go straight to my website, which is www.myprofessionalagenda.com. And what I do is help people with their marketing tools. So what I do is help with their resumes, rebrand their LinkedIn profile, help with interview prep, all the instruments you need to land into a job that you deserve. Um, and then I have a lot of digital products. So just in case you want to do a lot of these things yourself first, I do have like some templates, um, resume templates. I'm working on a few courses. And um, I also do some corporate training on career development as well. Um, so those are the things that I do that I enjoy and love to do the most is making sure everyone is doing things that align with their gifts. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Land a Job You Love podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you're interested in learning more about career coaching services with me, you can visit the link in my bio on Instagram at Spark Career Co. I hope you have a great day.